This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our reading from the life of Jesus today is found in the Gospel of Matthew, 4th chapter. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness, and he was tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it's written that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, well, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they'll bear you up, so that they'll not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to the devil, Again it is written, Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed them all the kingdoms of the world and all their greatness. And he said to them, all these I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan. For it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. And then the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's a rhetorical question I want to ask and... We have so many children, I want to make sure that, that we're aware of that. Because sometimes we're just tempted to just blurt out things that maybe we don't want to. Here's the question. So what exactly is tempting you? What's tempting you? Tempting's part of being human. Apparently, even when you're also God. The Barner Group is an organization that studies the habits of Christians around the world. Back in 2012, they did a study on temptation, and they came up with an actual list, a list of what tempts Christians in America, North America, and the world. And the old standbys are there, all the things that you'd probably guess, lying, gossiping, uh, sloth. I was glad to hear that word sloth in a song we sang today. We won't use that word a lot. Greed. Uh, high on the list for North American Christians, not like South American Christians, worrying procrastinating, spending more than you have, eating more than you need. But there are also some new things on the list in 2012. They're not going to sound new to you five years later. You know what they are now. But in 2012, a lot of people didn't even understand what they were about. Spending too much time on social media to the point that your thumbs get sore. Going off on others digitally. Trolls. Online pornography. Now, I need to be honest and say, well, none of that really surprised me. I'm a pastor. I know what life is. What surprised me was that there was another statistic, and it was that um, the more serious and the more destructive the sin was, the less people were willing to admit to someone else that it was a temptation. Got me thinking about the temptation stories that we just heard today. 
One of the stories is mythic, that first story that Shireen read, Adam and Eve in the garden. It's it's a story that's shared by Christianity, Islam, Judaism together. Adam and Eve, talking snake, an apple, the fall. And the other we hear every single year, always on the first Sunday of Lent, it's in three of the four gospel accounts, battle royale between Jesus and the devil out in the wilderness. The very first story, that, that Adam and Eve story, is about the first temptation. That's why I could call it a mythic story. God said, don't eat the fruit. And they ate the fruit. And the rest is history. Now, they could have been immortal. I want to leave that one out there for just a moment because there's been a lot of deaths in our parish in the last couple of weeks. They could have been immortal. There was no death at that point in the garden. There was no from dust you came and dust you shall return. They could have been immortal. They could have stayed in the garden forever. But no, curiosity got the best of them. Ego got the best of them. God gave them a very simple test, and they flunked. Adam blamed Eve. If she were here, she'd probably say that's the first and only time you ever listened to a suggestion the first time I made it. Eve blamed the snake. Those are the verses we skipped over. And none of them, they really matter, of course, because blame is another temptation all in itself. God drew a line in the Garden of Eden. It was was a very clear line. God said, human beings, you're on this side. God's going to be on this side. Tree of life is going to be on your side. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil is going to be on my side. You stay on your side if you know what's good for you. Hmm. And it wasn't enough for the first human couple. God had given these brains to think with, and evidently God gave them a snake to talk with along the journey. And they could see that the tree was good, that it was good for food, that it was beautiful to the eye, that it was a delight. And the snake suggests to them that the only reason God's telling you not to eat of it, because if you eat from that, then you're going to be exactly like God. You're going to be as smart as God. So they bite, literally. They trust their own logic rather than God's desire and God's compassion for them and for the whole garden. And the next thing they know, poof, they're wearing fig leaves and they're looking for a new place to live. And as the story goes, this garden has never been the same since. Temptation of Jesus is in a whole different kind of class. Um, In that story, the Spirit of God is the one that leads Jesus out into the wilderness, not into the garden, but out into the wilderness. And he's tested, he's tempted, but to be really honest about it, and honest about another whole level of temptation. Adam and Eve is like one thing, don't eat from that tree. It wasn't that simple for Jesus in the wilderness. And the story starts out very scary. It's not really a children's story. There's no cute evil personified as a, as a snake. It's the devil, point blank, in your face, trading barbs back and forth. And the devil and this is really scary stuff, is actually quoting scripture. The devil. Which ought to be a lesson, I think, that just because someone knows the Bible chapter and verse doesn't mean that they're up to any good in the world. In one of Luther's sermons on this text, and he wrote 31 of them, Luther says that even the devil can quote the Bible. So there's a line being drawn here um, as well. Just as clear as in the first story. There's a choice and and there's a big temptation when it comes to that line. Jesus, you can play the God card or you can remain human. 
Three times he's tempted, three times he says no. Unlike the mother and father of us all, he refuses to cross the line that God has drawn. Now, in theory, Lent is a series, a season in which we, we, we wrestle with temptation. That's why this is always reading. Um, but I, I worry that we kind of like trivialize it. You, you kind of know what the, you know, give up something for Lent. I'm, I'm watching the, the late show with Stephen Colbert and, he, and right in the middle of the, the monologue at the beginning, he turns to the band leader, John Batista, and says, Hey, what are you giving up for Lent? And I love Batista. He says, Well, I'll let you know at Easter time. <laughs> And they said, well, I'm giving up meat, not just on Friday, but I'm giving it up all through, through Lent. And I think we act that like, you know, like, like eating chocolate or chips or meat or drinking too much scotch or sleeping in on Sunday morning is like what the real temptation in the world is all about. And if we know anything from that Barna study, it's that the real temptations are the ones that we don't like to talk about. I don't think that's what either one of the stories are about. I don't think the stories are about being tempted to be a not very good human. I think in both stories they're being tempted to not even admit that they're human. All three of them, Adam and Eve, are tempted to play God. In Adam and Eve's case, it was the chance to break out of their dependence on God and know what's good and evil for themselves, to be in charge, to take control, set their own destiny, to be God. In Jesus' case, there's a chance to feed his very human needs. Hunger, using the many gifts that he has, control all the kingdoms of the earth. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. Adam and Eve step over the line. They want to be God, and as a result, they turn humanity into a curse. Jesus stays behind the line, and as a result, he makes a blessing for all humanity. One trespasses, the other stays put. One tries to be God, the other who is God intentionally stays human. The holy irony is that the one who tried to be God failed as a human being, while the one who is content to be human, we know to be the son of God. Real temptations are less about doing something wrong than they are about losing track of who we really are. Jesus, why don't you turn these stones into bread? You know, frankly, that sounds reasonable to me. He's hungry. Just a few days ago, you go, my beloved son, listen to him. Hasn't worked a single miracle before. What's wrong with taking it out in the wilderness for a little bit of test drive, turn a few stocks, stones into bread? What's wrong? What's the big deal? Jesus, why don't you jump off the pinnacle of the temple? Which sounds a bit risky. I'll give it that, but... Scripture does promise that you'll, you'll be okay, that the angels will catch you before you even hit the ground. And just think for a moment, what a great show. And how many people would believe if Jesus jumped off the pinnacle of the temple and right before he got to the ground, the angels swooped in? How many people would believe that? Oh, Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just fall down and worship me. It sounds like a stretch until I realize that we hear a version of it nearly every day. We're constantly trying to make this great, that great. The ends justify the means. Think what... Because surely that was the temptation. Think about the fairness and justice in the world if Jesus just had control and power over everyone. It's not about whipping up some wonder bread in the middle of wilderness. Anybody can do that. It's not about showboating off the temple tower. It's not about making a reckless grab for power over your neighbors. 
And I'm not saying any of those things aren't important because they are, but they are not at the heart of the temptation. The devil is stroking Jesus' ego in exactly the same way the serpent stroked Adam and Eve's egos. You can just imagine this conversation. Look, you're actually like God. You're God. Do something spectacular. Throw yourself down. Make a little magic. Lift yourself up. You're God. The heart of all temptation is to struggle to admit who we are and who we're not. Now, I'm I'm hoping that that resonates, and I know it will with some of you, because it does for me, with anyone who has ever worked with any of the 12-step recovery programs. You don't need to know all the 12 steps, but let me just tell you one and two. One is, I'm powerless. I'm unable to change anything. I'm human. And two is, I've come to believe that there's a higher power. There's something more important than me in the world. Matthew is writing this story today. And it's worth remembering all year long. This is the year we read from Matthew every Sunday. Matthew is writing in the context of an occupying Roman Empire who's bullied its way, powered its way to control of Israel. That's the context. That's who's reading this story that Matthew writes to. And let me be very clear about this. The Roman Empire, the Caesars, they knew how to make a little magic. And they they knew how to lift themselves up. And they knew how to put on a show. And they knew how to get the approval of the masses. And they knew how to exert power over everybody. And how to do it in a way that they lost it all. Historians have a name for it. They were so good at it. It's called bread and circuses. Spectacle, power, put on a big circus, give people a little bit of bread, promise people whatever you want, and then rob them blind. But as Matthew will tell us throughout the whole story, Jesus is not that kind of king. That's how evil triumphs over good. That's not how good triumphs over evil. Jesus refuses the whole bread and circus thing. He won't take power. He won't make magic bread. He won't call in a bunch of angels for a media show. That ought to teach us something, that Jesus won't take the bait. And we probably shouldn't either. One last thing in this sermon. Confess how I write sermons. I've got a number of seminary students here. Sometimes you write a whole sermon, you get to the end of it, you say, oh, wow, I missed the main point, and let's make sure I don't blow it. Here's one last point. It's big. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon. Look, Jesus is hungry. He's out there in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's humanly hungry. And he's going to get crushed. Not just fall off the pinnacle. He's going to get beaten. He's going to get whipped. He's going to get killed. And not only will they not worship him, They'll ridicule him, and they'll betray him, and they'll shove him in a tomb. That's the temptation. And sometimes it's not at all obvious, and this is one of those moments. But make sure you understand what's happening in this story. The devil gets duped. The devil loses in this story. The tempter gets tripped. Satan gets his stuff handed to him on a silver platter. Lucifer loses Because God's love is always stronger than evil. Always. Amen.